Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast. I am Rick Thomas. You can find me in my cyber home at rickthomas.net. It is a sanctification center. It is our big box store that we shoved up in cyberspace so that you can get there easily. Come into our store. We have sanctification tools all over the place. The shelves are stocked and they are free You can walk in, you can read, you can listen, you can watch, and you can ask. And so please do that. You're listening now. This is the Life Over Coffee podcast. We're doing life, and we want to do life over coffee. How else would you want to do life? Self-disclosure. I only started drinking coffee in my 50s. I didn't enjoy it before then, and I don't remember what happened or why I was converted to coffee, but I do enjoy one cup per day, every day, and so I thought it would be nice if you're going to do life, let's do life over coffee. It's also part of our brand. We believe that every Christian is a disciple maker, and we want to deprofessionalize this idea of counseling because we all should be doing it. You can gather in a coffee shop or any other place where you want to gather outside the church building, outside of a counseling office. Let's just talk over coffee about our issues, whatever they may be. And so we have the Life Over Coffee podcast. This is episode number 138. The title of this podcast is Understanding the Cyclic Effect of the Great Commission. I have an infographic here that I want to walk through, and if you have the time, go to episode 138 on our website. Go to the drop-down that says Life Over Coffee Podcast, and you'll see all 138 podcasts. This one, episode 138, you can look at this infographic, and it will help you to see visually what I am talking to you about right now. The Great Commission is a fourfold job description for every Christian. It is your job and it is my job. It is what we are supposed to do. And with the Lord's enabling, because He is the one that makes it all work, He is the one that empowers us, He is the one that converts people, He is the one that illuminates, He's the one that that helps us. And so with his enabling, we have four things that we're supposed to be doing on a regular basis every day of our lives. We should be going, converting, discipling, and sending. Those are the four aspects of the Great Commission. Let me read it to you. You know the text well. It's Matthew 28, verses 18 and 20. This is Uh, Jesus' exit interview, his exit communique with his close friends, and this is what he said. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. How profound is that? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, that's the going part, go and make disciples, baptizing them, that's the converting part, I'll talk about that in a moment, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, this is the third aspect, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the 
end of the age. And so that is our job description. It is what Jesus has asked us to do. And I want to walk through this carefully with you during this podcast because it is a fourfold job description and it seems way too much for any one person to do. And we can also misinterpret what Jesus is meaning here. And so I hope at the end of this podcast that you are encouraged, you're you're edified, you're envisioned, and and you're released to go and fulfill the Great Commission according to how God has gifted you. So let's look at the four parts of the Great Commission again. And I'm going from this infographic, again, episode 138, Understanding the Cyclic Effect of the Great Commission. The first aspect is going. We are to be penetrating the culture with the transformative message of Christ. That is what we should be doing all the time, all of our waking hours. We should be thinking about and strategizing and asking God to give us wisdom on how we can penetrate the culture, how we can go into all the world and tell them about the transformative message of Christ. Number two, he said converting, baptizing converts after they are born again. Baptism doesn't get you saved. Baptism is is what you do as a response to uh, being regenerated by God. And so it is obvious in our Christian teaching that if a person becomes converted by the power of the gospel, then we want to baptize. And so we go into the world with the message of Christ. They are converted. We baptize them. And then number three is discipleship, or as Jesus said specifically in Matthew 28, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, that's a boatload And that's also a lifetime process for all of us. We call it progressive sanctification. It happens after salvation. We spend our entire lives being sanctified by the power of God God, as we engage His Word, as we interact within our community, and with these things working for us, we are being equipped, becoming more and more mature in the things that Jesus taught us. So we're going, we're penetrating the culture, we're converting. God is the one that's doing the regeneration, and we're baptizing these converts. Then we are discipling them, equipping them uh, to follow the teaching of Jesus Christ. And then number four, we're sending. Now we're motivating these maturing disciples to go and do what was done to them, penetrate the culture. And that's the cyclic effect. It's a circle And so you go, evangelize, they get saved, you train them up, you send them out, and then they uh, evangelize, and then they, uh, people are converted, they disciple them, and they send them out. It's like uh, in 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul said that the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses go out and teach others. That's what we're doing. That's what our ministry does. It's all about equipping. Now, it would be instructive if I could, if we could have a dialogue here, but I realize that this is not a dialogue. This is a monologue. This is an audio, a podcast, and so I can't hear what you're thinking. But it would be instructive to hear the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the words "Great Commission." Take just a moment and and think about that. Reflect on it just quickly when you hear the words "Great Commission." 
what comes to your mind? What's the first thought that comes to your mind? Now, if your first thought is out there somewhere, meaning the Great Commission is about going wherever, to a third world country, across the ocean, wherever it may be. If your first thought is out there somewhere, you're at the wrong place. That cannot be your first thought when it comes to the Great Commission. Because if it is your first thought, you could do irreparable harm to your most important relationships. When you think of the Great Commission of going and penetrating the culture for Christ, the first person that you should think about is you. Your your closest relationships, which begins with you, is the best place to start living out the Great Commission. If you are not living out the Great Commission within your own life, I trust that you have been converted You've been born again, and I trust you're in a process of progressive sanctification, that you're being matured in Christ. If that is not happening, if, if those two aspects of the Great Commission have not happened to you, then that is the place where you need to begin. It's an infrastructure issue. If you are not, if your infrastructure is not mature in Christ, then the farther you get away from that infrastructure, the easier it will be uh, to collapse. You can't be any good to anyone else if you are not doing, if you're not doing the things that Jesus has taught you. And so the Great Commission begins with yourself. And then if you are married, the next person on your Great Commission list is your spouse. If you have children, they come after your spouse. And then the Great Commission works out from this internal network of relationships. You, your spouse, your children, or close friends, whoever they are. You build infrastructurally because if you go out, there and you work. And I've interacted with a lot of missionaries through our ministry, and I've done training in Peru, for an example, with a group of missionaries. And one of the things that I've learned with working with missionaries is they struggle just like I do. They struggle personally. They struggle within their marriages. They struggle within their family units, and they need help in maturing in Christ. And so if all of your effort is out there somewhere, it will eventually collapse on you. And so it's imperative that when you think about the Great Commission, that you start with yourself and you work out infrastructurally. You always want a solid infrastructure. If you don't have it, then again, it will collapse. And so the first thing that I would want you to think about with this cyclic effect, again, this is episode 138, understanding the cyclic effect of the Great Commission, how the Great Commission works. The first thing that I would want you to understand is the main place, the starting place for the Great Commission, and it begins with you. And then I would want you to think about the macro versus the micro. You know what the macro is. The macro is the broad brush perspective of the Great Commission, and then there is the micro perspective. That's where you dial in on a singular thing. Now, on the macro level, the broad brush level, 
everybody should be doing all of the Great Commission. We should be going into the world evangelizing. We should be uh, uh, leading people to Christ so they can be converted. We should be maturing them up in Christ and sending them out. If you're, if you're a parent, you're doing this all the time. That's what you're doing. You're basically evangelizing. You're asking God to regenerate your children, and then you're training them up. That's called parenting. And your goal is to send them out at 18, 22, whatever age that may be, as men and women under God's authority in the world. And your prayer is they will go out and do the very same thing that you have done to them. And so we should be doing the Great Commission everywhere we go all the time on a macro level. But I also want you to think about the micro level. Everybody can't, everybody's not gifted to do the whole blooming Great Commission equally. And so everyone should focus on a specific aspect according to their gifting. Let me give you some illustrations of that. I'll just run down a quick list here. Apologists, evangelists, pastors, teachers, counselors, disciplers, and those who uh, target social causes from a bibliocentric perspective. What, I just, what I've just given you is seven specific micro aspects of, of the Great Commission. Uh, Todd Frill, my friend in Atlanta, in Atlanta, he would be more of an apologist as far as where he works with the Great Commission, be more of an evangelist. That would also be an aspect of what he does. Uh, and then you have counselors, which would be me. I prefer to think that I'm a discipler more than a counselor, but some people like to consider me as a counselor, so I'll go with it for now. But there is a gifting to counseling, and everybody can't counsel at a, at a high level. And so I target, our ministry targets the sanctification aspect of the Great Commission. We target specifically of teaching Christians to do all the things that Jesus taught us to do. That, that is probably 99% of what our entire ministry is about. We're slightly apologetic. We are slightly evangelist. But I don't do what Todd Friel does. Todd has a unique gift mix that enables him to take that aspect of the Great Commission and, and run with it and do a great job. And so you have to discern how God has gifted you on the micro level. Now, on the macro level, we shouldn't, we shouldn't say, well, I don't do evangelistic work of the Great Commission. I am more of sanctification, and so I can't lead you to Christ right now. No, we don't want to walk around that person. We want to tell them about Jesus and evangelize and pray that God will convert them. That's on a macro level. And as I said earlier, we should be doing that with our families, with our children, but you also want to dial in on a micro level, and what are you good at? Now, God has given me a burden for sanctification, and there's a lot of reasons for that, and I've shared thousands of words on that in, in our resources, that God has called me specifically to, to focus on the area of sanctification on the micro level. This social cause thing, for example, we have people who have a tremendous burden for pro-life, that that is what they do. We have other folks who are really into foster care and adoption. We have other folks who are bloggers and podcasters. My friend Daryl Harrison, just thinking, 
his podcast, his website. He focuses more in the social arena, uh, particularly in the area of bigotry and, and prejudice, racism, as some people call it. And God has gifted him as a, a black man uh, who is theologically trained to be able to target this area, and that's where he hangs out. And that is important that when we think on the micro level that we want to be doing all of the Great Commission all of the time, but we also want to be using our unique gift mix in the micro level. And then another aspect of this are seasonal opportunities. There are seasons in our life where uh, we can't do all that we want to do, or maybe we want to do something else, but we're not able to do it at this point. And, and one of the areas where I hear this often is with stay-at-home moms. Stay-at-home moms can feel guilty about not doing the Great Commission, and, and it's sad that they think that way, because the truth is moms are in one of the best places in the entire world to live out the Great Commission now, I've been at home for a long time. I've been at home since 2003. So basically, I have seen my children grow up inside of the home. And I've seen what Lucia does inside of the home. And it is an amazing thing. Moms never get a day off. Never. It's 24-7, morning, noon, and night. I've said often that we dads, if we work outside the home, we can do our nine-to-five job or whatever it may be, and come home and, and relax. If you, if you spend time in the home in a 24-hour window or a week or a month and you watch how your wife interacts, especially when the kids are, are little, you'll realize quickly that moms never have a day off. And even when they go on vacation, it's not a vacation because all, all mom is doing is just transitioning from what she does at the home to what she does in the, the condo or the tent or the hotel or wherever they may be. She never stops being a mom. And so I would not ever want a mom to feel guilty because, that, because that's not guilt from the Lord. That's guilt from wherever else it may come from, but it's not from the Lord. And so if you see yourself as a stay-at-home mom, uh, you're in this seasonal opportunity. That's why I call it a seasonal opportunity. It is for a season. Now, with parenting, it can be a 25-year season, depending on how many children you have and how spread apart they are. It may be most of your life, but it is an opportunity, and that's the aspect that I would want you to hear. It is an unbelievable opportunity to export the gospel, the Great Commission, to the next generation to raise those children up. And I don't have to make a case for how problematic that is in our culture today. There are kids that are being reared, multiple generations that have been reared that that are just ignorant and just totally messed up in so many ways because they weren't parented well. And so when it comes to the Great Commission, moms and dads, now I don't want to get that nasty email <laughs> From someone say, what about the dads? Aren't they supposed to be on the job too? Yes. Dads should have a 24-7 job as well. You may work nine to five somewhere, but when you come home, you're still on the job. You're switching jobs, so to speak. Your more important job, to be honest with you, to come alongside your wife, to love her, encourage her, nourish her, cherish her, disciple her, come alongside those children. That is a huge, great commission job. 
And then there are other times like a job that you may have that you don't want as you're working towards something better. It's just for a season and you're stuck in it for now. But it's still an important one. And what you want to do, I say it like this, you want to work in the milieu that the Lord has you for his fame. Working in the milieu simply means working in the context in which you are. No matter where you are, if you're on the production line, you need to be strategizing and asking God how you can be a great commission advocate uh, for his cause. Because you remember what he said in 633, Matthew, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Your job is not the main thing. Your job is simply a, a means to release you to do the more important thing, which is seek the kingdom of God. And so it's not about your job. It's about seeking the kingdom of God. And so use your job as a context for spreading the Great Commission. And so I've talked about the four parts of the Great Commission, going, converting, discipling, sending. I talked about the main place for the Great Commission. It starts with you as an individual, and it works out in your closest relationships, whatever they may be. I talked about the macro and the micro. The macro, we all should be doing all of the Great Commission, but then the micro, we should specialize according to our gifting. I discussed seasonal opportunities, things that are here for a duration, and we should make the most of them because they will go away. We'll move on to the next thing, like parenting or a job, for example. The big idea here is to work in the milieu, in the context in which God has you. And then I want to talk about this idea of comparison. I don't want you to compare yourself to other people who are doing other things in the Great Commission. Now, I don't care for the word ministry in the way that many people use it today, because it, it can create a two-tier system within the church, those who are doing ministry and those who do not do ministry. I do not see that in Scripture. We're all in the ministry some people believe being in the ministry is a better calling than not being in the ministry. Now, the Bible doesn't teach such posturing. You're in the ministry. You're doing ministry work. You're a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I know that there are professional jobs out there where there are pastors and and people, missionaries, or whatever we want to call them, and, and we say that they're in the ministry, but if you're not careful, you'll have such a tight definition of the word ministry that you will exclude yourself from it, and you'll begin to compare yourself. Like some may compare the widow woman with two copper coins, and she's not doing nearly as much as those with all the money. You do not want to go there. It is important according to how God has gifted you and is what, he, what he has called you to do. And if you are fulfilling that ministry, you can do it better than your pastor, who it is possible that a pastor can be doing an awful job in where God has him. And so don't compare yourself as though you are less of a person or less of a minister than someone else. In 2 Corinthians 10, 12, it says that we dare not to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, 
They are without understanding. Paul says that these people who compare themselves among themselves are unwise, meaning they are fools. Do not do that. And then in 1 Corinthians 12, you have this wonderful passage about the eye and the ear and the foot. And Paul said it this way, for the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not the hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body, and if the ear should say, because I am not the eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it, as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And you have an important role to play within the body. We're talking about the Great Commission here. I am Rick Thomas. This is episode number 138, Understanding the Cyclic Effect of the Great Commission. Now, the big question is, where do you fit in? How can you grow your unique gifts so that you can get into the micro of what God has gifted you to do? At the end of the show notes here in episode 138, I have 12 questions for you, and I would love for you to get in these show notes. You can look at the infographic. I have other articles uh, here as well that you can read, but I would love for you to work through these 12 questions with a friend so that you can figure out how you can be a micro-specialist when it comes to the Great Commission. Always macro, always evangelizing and teaching and sending and doing for the glory of God wherever you go, but how can you hone in on how God has made you as a unique individual created in His image, working in that corner of the vineyard where He would have you work so that you can maximize what God has gifted you to do? I want to run through these 12 questions, and I would love for you to think about it. Again, you can get these right out of the show notes, episode one. Three, eight. Question number one, what is something you love to do? Now, that's important. What's something that you just love to do? Now, for me, I've, I've always loved doing exactly what I'm doing now. I've always loved studying people, examining people, learning people, trying to be a friend to people, helping people. And those two things go hand in hand. You study them so you can help them. You can't help them if you don't study them. And so I've always been interested in people, and I've always wanted to help people to be better than whatever they are currently. And so, But that might not be you, and that's fine because we're not comparing ourselves among ourselves or commending ourselves among ourselves. But what is something you love to do? Number two, what is something you enjoy giving time for reflection? When you walk to the mailbox, for example, or when you just kick your brain in neutral, where does your mind go? What do you like to think about when you don't have to think about anything? That may be a clue as to what you like to do, that dream job, that dream thing. So what is something you love to do? What is something you enjoy giving your time for reflection? Number three, when you have downtime, where does your mind drift? as far as a possible career choice. And so now with specificity, where does your mind go as a career choice? 
Number four, how has God gifted you? And the follow-up question is, how would your friends answer that question? Ask two or three of your close friends, hey, what do you think I'm good at? What do you think I could do and do well? Number five, describe your personality. What does it say about the kind of job that you should have? Number six, what suggestions have people made about your career based on their understanding of you? Number seven, think through the educational requirements needed for your desired vocation. So you want to sit down and you want to count the cost. Okay, I, this is what I love to do. This is what I love thinking about. This is what I love thinking about as far as a career choice. This is how I believe that God has gifted me, and this is how my friends would answer this question. Here's what my personality is like, and here's some suggestions that folks have made about me that they thought I would be good at. Okay, well, number seven, what are the educational requirements needed for your desired vocation? Number eight, what is your plan to get the training you need. You need to start thinking about a plan to get there. I thought about my plan on a production line. I worked for BMW, the car manufacturer, for five years, and it was during that time that I laid out a plan and began to work that plan. I got my master's degree while I was working at BMW. What other things do you need to get your dream job destination? Number 10, do you have a person in your desired field you can emulate, someone you can shadow? Number 11, who is mentoring you in this process? And number 12, who's holding you accountable for accompanying your objectives? Episode 138, Understanding the Cyclic Effect of the Great Commission. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.